Now you can hear me. Um, hopefully you've got uh, notes. If you haven't got notes, stick a hand in the air and they'll appear as if by magic. Um, we're uh, on the last week, last preach of our Be Prepared series. And um, we're going to be looking at standing strong together, protecting the vulnerable. But I, I also want to, us to look at... Uh, I'm not going to do a recap of the whole eight weeks, but I want us to look at what this Be Prepared series really is all about. So in your notes, you'll see that we've reproduced the prophetic words that uh, this series has been based around. And I just want to make some comments about that before we move on. Um, when uh, we, we started, there was a, a, a prophetic word from Jenny about... Um, healing anointing coming and this was a while ago and then subsequently these words came uh, about not losing heart if the promise seems slow in coming and that that healing anointing was promised um, there was the picture of the scoutmaster cutting the rope and handing out the rope and that be prepared phrase came from that um, and also the picture of the child starting school you know with the uniform on that was just maybe a touch too big and there was room for growth uh, in there. And then Claudine saw this picture of loads of people streaming into the church, people that look and behave very differently to us and who are in real need, addicts and homeless people and ex-prisoners uh, and people perhaps we would feel a bit uncomfortable around <clears throat> and that there would be a call for Increased generosity of time, possessions, money, and a softer, kinder, more loving heart. And then Joe saw all this and she said, oh, well, on the back of that, I saw the enemy saying, I'm not happy about this. And there's going to be an attack on our unity. And that she saw this picture of the, the Roman shield wall and the tortoise, you know, with the shields protecting those who were vulnerable within it. And, and then this other word from Martin, it's a little bit longer. I just want to pick up on this uh, uh, phrase at the beginning of page two. As you build the net, I will fill it. Uh, and the bigger the net, the bigger the catch. It just seems to me amazing that we have this uh, incredible partnership with God. And it's like he gives us a degree of freedom that we can do things and he'll just sort of catch up with us. And, you know, we build a net, and then he fills it, which just seems amazing to me. Oh, losing the ear. And the, um, sorry, lost me, lost me away. Um, so that, that's the essence of this Be Prepared series. That's where it's come from. And... You know, be prepared can be a bit like a warning. And I don't know whether you've uh, noticed over the uh, last few weeks, there have been uh, several weather warnings, flood warnings, uh, and seeing the awful floodings in different places across the country. You know, if you were in a place where flooding was imminent, I wonder what you would do. You know, you'd be sort of batting down the hatches, get the sandbags out, see whether we could stop this water coming in and thinking, well, maybe I can't, I need to evacuate. 
Well, I don't sense that that is what God is saying to us when he says, be prepared. He's not saying, shut the doors and don't let these people in. In fact, move and don't let anyone know where you're going. No, that's not the sort of warning he's giving us. He's suggesting that we need to be prepared to receive them and receive them well. And, you know, I looked up that phrase, be prepared, from um, the uh, scouting handbook. Uh, Baden-Powell started the scouting movement back in the early 1900s. And in the latest scouting handbook, it says this, Baden-Powell's idea was that scouts should prepare themselves to become productive citizens and strong leaders and to bring joy to other people. He wanted each scout to be ready in mind and body and to meet with a strong heart whatever challenges await him. And I sense that's the sort of preparedness that God wants us to embrace people coming in. And that picture of the child at school, you know, his first day at school, when, when they start, they're not given an exam on day one. You know, they, they go for an education. It takes a while. There's a period of learning and teaching and practice and being involved and getting hands-on and learning things. And it's not perhaps till later that there's an assessment of how are you doing. And the parents get the results and they go, well done. Well done. It's brilliant. I'm so pleased with what you've achieved. And, you know, I sense with being prepared that that's what God wants us to be able to look at what we've done and sense God saying to us, well done, well done. And you see, the, the Israelites, they, in the Old Testament, they wanted to hear that, well done. But they didn't. They heard something different. Uh, we're going to look at Isaiah 58. It's in your notes. Um, it's from, I'm going to read it from the message. You may have other versions in front of you. But... Uh, Let me encourage you to just listen. It'll be on the screen, but just listen, because I feel that it's quite impacting, this passage. Here we go, Isaiah 58 from the message. Shout, a full-throated shout. Hold nothing back. A trumpet blast shout. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family, Jacob, with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship, and they love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-loving people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? And they love having me on their side. They also complain, why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time, you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this kind of fast day I'm... Do you think this is the kind of fast day... I'm after, a day to show off humility, to put on a pious long face and parade round solemnly in black. Do you call that fasting, a fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after, 
to break the chains of injustice. Get rid of exploitation in the workplace. Free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry. Inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then, when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins, if you're generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I will give you a full life in the emptiest of places, firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins. Rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. Well, there's hope in that passage, isn't there? Wouldn't it be great if King's Church, it was said about King's Church Oxted, hey, they can fix anything. They made the community livable again. What a fabulous phrase. You see, sometimes we can see the connections that God makes. He promises healing anointing, and we see that we've got a, quite a number of people in our fellowship who are in need of healing. We, ah, yeah, I got it, I got it. I see the connection, God. Yeah, we, you promise healing anointing, and we've got all these people in need, and we, we keep praying, and we keep praying, and then we'll receive the healing anointing. Yeah, I can see that, I can see that connection. But you see, the prophetic words that we looked at, and this passage from Isaiah doesn't seem to be saying that. They seem to be less obviously connected. You see, he wants us to reflect his heart. He cares for the broken, the oppressed, the vulnerable, the poor, the homeless, the hungry. And he wants us to care for them too. And somehow he connects these things with knowing him better and him answering our prayers and us being called making those who make the community livable again. And it's not an obvious connection that we make. You see, here's the challenge. We don't see the connection between going to a timing God's presence meeting on a cold Sunday night or arriving 15 minutes early on a Sunday morning to chat to people or praying over a list of people that God's given to us and wondering what on earth I can do to care for them. We don't see the connection between those things and God's healing anointing or making the community livable again. But that seems to be what God means by being prepared. And you see, I, I don't want us to miss all he has for us. So I think this is what this series is all about. It's about being prepared 
yes, for, to receive healing anointing, but for us to get there by caring for those who are oppressed and addicted and homeless and in need. I've labored that, I appreciate, uh, but I feel that it's important that we see what this is about and what God is saying to us. But let me look at, move on and, and let's look at standing strong together and protecting the vulnerable. Standing strong together, how do we do that? Well, firstly, support one another. You know, the Roman shield wall had interlocking shields, so it, it, it held together in front and above. It's, a, it's not probably a picture of it because they didn't have cameras in those days, but it's a sort of representation. And what happened was the less able or untrained and, and perhaps the, um, those who were wounded, uh, they weren't left behind. So they were still part of the battle going on, but they were protected by others who were able to be strong and stand uh, and provide that protection for them. You know, in the, in the New Testament, there are over 40 one another verses. And I've heard preachers on one anothering one another. And it always strikes me it's about doing things. And I looked at all those verses and, you know, there's, there's about a third of them that are about unity. There's about a third of them that are about love. There's a sixth of them about humility. And the final sixth have got action. It's interesting, isn't it? That when we think about one anothering, we think about, you know, those sort of practical things. But actually... It, it can be about attitude and character. Who, who would you want alongside you in the shield wall? Or who would you want holding the shields if you were one of those who were untrained or vulnerable and needing, in need of protection? Well, let me give you a couple of examples. There's a picture here of uh, a couple of football players. The one on the left is Raheem Sterling. The one on the right is Joe Gomez. And... Uh, Raheem Sterling plays for Manchester City. Joe Gomez plays for Liverpool. And they were in a match a few weeks ago. And towards the end, there was a bit of a coming together, just like this. And, you know, it happens in competitive matches. You know, the tensions run high. And, you know, there was a bit of this going on. And normally what happens is at the final whistle, they walk off the pitch and they're all friends again. Not on this occasion. And you see, they're both... England players. So the day after this match, they went to the England training camp and it all kicked off again. And they were at fisticuffs in the canteen. They had to be pulled apart. And what happened? The England manager said to Raheem Sterling, I'm oh, sorry, you can't, you can't play for England if you're going to act like that. I'm sorry, you can't play. And he's sidelined. Here's another person, somebody called Will Bailey. He's a Paralympic gold medalist in table tennis. And he's been a competitor on Strictly Come Dancing. Uh, he's got a, 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 an arthritic condition that affects all his joints. And you'll see in this video clip that his hands are, are slightly deformed like this, that he can't uh, move them and use them fully. And 
he had to pull out of um, the, the competition recently due to an injury. And this clip is following him coming out of the competition. And uh, it's, it's on a program called Loose Women. And uh, it's not a program I watch, I have to say, but I just came across this clip on YouTube and I felt it summed up uh, what I wanted to get across. Uh, and soon after the clip starts, it cuts to a message from his dance partner, Jeanette. Let's, uh, let's watch it. We have a, a little message from someone who absolutely thought that uh, you gave it your all. Have a little look at this. Hello, everyone. Hello, ladies. I just wanted to send a quick message to Will to say, I love you so much. Thank you for giving me just the most amazing memories while we dance together on Strictly Come Dancing. Uh, but now take care of your knee. We need you to go to Tokyo 2020 and win that gold. So I hope that you get well soon. I'm wishing you a very, very speedy recovery. And don't you worry, because you and I are definitely going to do that drive someday. I want to pick up on what she said there. Is, is that a real concern for you, that you might not make the 2020 Paralympics? No, I'll be there. You know, I'll, oh, yeah. I'm really just got to give it a few weeks and see how this settles down and then see what the doctors say and what I need to do. But, yeah, I'm really confident I'll be there and try and get another gold medal. It'll be great. Your passion, your passion and enthusiasm is infectious. It's mm -hmm. unbelievable. Your parents must be so proud of what hopefully. you achieved. Mm. I'm sure they yeah, are. Yeah, hopefully. You know, I'm loving life. It's been a real honour to, to go on to Strictly and now to be training for the Paralympics. I'm living my dream. Yeah. Oh, You're making it happen. Yes. And there's a difference. Oh, the difference. Yeah. I, mean, I want to ask you as well. Who would you? Who would you like to see win? I love so many. I know everyone says this. I get on with all of them. They've yeah. been so supportive of me. Um, oh, it's tough, isn't it? Mm. I mean, I do love Kelvin. Oh. I love Mike. I mean, it's tough, yeah. it's tough. I love them. I love. I love so many of them. I don't know. Karim as well is amazing. Yeah. I don't know. Michelle's, Michelle's amazing. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. Oh. So, I've got so many I'm favorites. glad you're not a judge. You'd be right. I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be like, go on. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. But it's such a good show. So many nice people. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, it's like, you know, and it is, it is the one thing. I know, obviously, you're a competitive sportsman, but the thing with Strictly, it is about the experience, and we're so... Interesting, wasn't it? When asked about... Who was going to win? He said, oh, he's great. She's great. I want her to win. I'll give him all 10. Who would you rather have in your shield wall? You see, Raheem Sterling's strong. He's fit. He's healthy. And Will Bailey's fit, healthy, maybe not quite so strong. But then down to character, who would you choose? Supporting one another. It's not just about actions, but it is also about actions and words. In James 2, it says this, If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? See, if we see folk in need around us, and, and we go, Oh, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry that it's happened to you. Uh, I hope it all goes well. That's not ever so encouraging, is it? It's not really very supportive. It's not standing strong together. And we can be active 
and helpful with one another and encouraging with our words. And they are hugely impacting. And encouraging words are frequently forgotten. You know, we're very good. We're very well brought up, aren't we? You know, we're, we're taught to say thank you. So I'm sure, you know, when you go and get your coffee later, you'll say thank you. And perhaps if you go and collect your children, you'll say thank you. But imagine you go and pick up your child and you say thank you. Oh, and by the way, I really appreciate what you do in not just looking after the children, but teaching them and training them and encouraging them and praying for them and helping them to pray and teaching them about Jesus and going through the word with them and giving them opportunity to demonstrate spiritual gifts and praying for the Holy Spirit to come on them. I just want you to know I so much appreciate it and I see the benefit week by week by week and, and it enables me to come and listen to the preach and just relax and know that not, it's just not that my child's looked after but they're, they're being encouraged, they're being built up, they're being uh, trained and discipled. Imagine if you heard that if you were one of the kids' workers. It'd transform your day, wouldn't it? It's just a few encouraging words. Actions and words make a difference. And I feel perseverance is an important part of standing strong together. These are some verses from Acts 2. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing in one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Not perhaps the obvious verse you'd go to, to think about perseverance, but you know, there was a continual activity going on there. They were sharing their possessions you know, they got, they got a lawnmower out and they, they said, oh, I lent my lawnmower to a, to a brother so that he could mow his lawn. It came back broken. And I, I had to get it fixed. It cost me a fortune. So I've locked away in the shed now. I know nobody else is going to have it. That's one way of approaching it. But you know, I lent my lawnmower out to one of the guys and, and it came back and, you know, he did exactly what I've always done. He kept going over the stones and it just broke. And, but the amazing thing was John was able to fix it. He, he came along, he just got the parts and he just did it. So, and it cleaned it up. It's amazing. And, and I put it in the shed, but it's hardly ever there. You know, normally it would be in the shed for a couple of weeks before I got it out and used it and then put it back in. Now it seems to be out every other day. It's amazing. See, there's a perseverance there. And they're sharing hospitality in each other's homes. And they're breaking bread together. And they're, they're, as they're doing those things, did you notice the law of unintended consequences? They said day by day, God was sending to them those who were being saved. Didn't say anything about preaching the gospel. No, they were just, they were looking after one another. They were demonstrating hospitality. They were being kind to one another. And then God goes, hey, I'll send some more people to you. Because you're demonstrating something of my heart. That's what being prepared is all about. Standing strong together in these things. And standing strong together to protect the vulnerable. What can we do to protect the vulnerable? 
Well, firstly, you won't be surprised, pray. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a slow learner, but I'm gradually getting there that prayer needs to be my knee-jerk reaction to any and every circumstance. I, I'm a bit slow. I, I, I hear something and I think, oh yeah, maybe, maybe I could help, maybe I could do something about that. Or I, something affects me and I think, oh, I've got to work out how to do this. Oh, actually, I guess I should pray about it as well. And it, it becomes, you know, third, fourth, fifth, or even sixth on the list. But I'm gradually learning. Now push it further up, push it to the top. Get to the, make prayer the first thing that you do. You see, we need to, we're not, I'm not talking about a list of things that we go, oh God, there's these things that I'm not really very happy about. And, and could you sort them out, please? There's, there's this and there's that, and there's those over there, and there's this thing, and, and that's it, really. If you could sort that out, that'd be great. That's not the talk, sort of prayer I'm talking about. I'm talking about engaging in a relationship with the Father so that we get something of his will and purpose. We're a bit more sensitive to his leading. <clears throat> and probably most important, we understand his authority. You see, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, whether we pray it as a straight prayer or whether we take it as a sort of principle for prayer, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. What have we just done? We found ourselves in the presence of Almighty God, the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, who reigns and rules over all things, who is all-powerful and almighty. And we say, let your kingdom come, let your rule and your reign affect these situations that I'm encountering and other people are encountering. Suddenly, we have a completely different perspective on what's going on. Because we've got a relationship with the Father and we know who he is. About a year ago, we introduced something called 365 Prayer. And we've got about uh, 17 individuals or families in our congregation who are impacted by some sort of long-term, maybe life-changing or debilitating illness. And so a year ago, we started 365 Prayer, and we opened it up and we said, if you want to pray, you can commit to once a month praying. So for the last year, since January, we've had about 40, over 40 people praying on a daily basis. They're giving themselves just once a month, although I'm sure they pray more often than that, uh, for those who are in need in our fellowship. But, you know, that's, that's about... One and a half people a day praying. That would be great if it was more. And if, if you'd like to be involved, come and see me. Because I'd love to put you on the list. And we're going to go into next year because we're going to persevere. We're going to press in. Because we believe that healing anointing is coming. And we want to protect those who are vulnerable amongst us. And we want to pray. And we can pray, but we can also be practical and provide practical support. Who found it easy dealing with Dale's six-point care challenge? Anyone found it easy? Or maybe like me, you found it quite difficult. You know, you pray over the list and you think, mm, what can I do? How can I help? What can I, what, what's positive? What, what positive thing can I contribute? To I know these people. And you know what hit me? The very point that Dale was making. You know, if you found it that hard, with people we know, we're going to really struggle caring for people who 
we don't get along with quite so well, who have a different perspective to us, who we feel uncomfortable around. But actually, that's what God is taking us into. We can be involved in practical things like the winter night shelter. I'll be honest with you, frighten the life out of me. And I went to the training this week. And do you know what I found? I found that all I need to be do, all I need to do is be friendly. I can help serve a meal. I can chat to people. I can play games. I might have to stand out in the cold occasionally and have a chat while they're having a cigarette. But that's about it. That's probably the hardest part of the evening. And I thought, I could do that. I really could. I could do that. And that means that for five months in the year, a group of people who would have been on the streets are able to have a hot meal, a warm bed, a conversation, a game in a safe and secure environment. That's amazing. And we can do that. We're we're doing a winter's night shelter this year again. You see, that sounds like a big thing. But there are little things that make a difference. You know, if you're, I, if you're anything like me, and I won't put it on you, I'll put it the other way around. I know what I'm like. I see somebody, and I say, oh, hello. I haven't seen you for weeks. It's not very encouraging, is it? <laughs> but when I noticed that somebody wasn't around on a Sunday or at life group, I could have just sent a text or left a message. That means, that leaves, means leave a message. I say, how are you doing? I missed you at Life Group. Just want to make sure everything's okay. Is there anything I can do? That would be more encouraging. Demonstrating hospitality. Many of you may have had an email this week saying any chance of providing a meal or two for James and Becca. They just had a baby. They're not ever so vulnerable, are they? Good, healthy young couple. But who knows what it's like when when you get the baby home and you go... What do we do now? <laughs> and we can provide some meals for them. And it just makes life a bit easier. It's practical support. Let me read you a little story. You'll like this. You've probably heard it before. Once upon a time, there were four people. Everybody, somebody, nobody, and anybody. Whenever there was an important job to be done, everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Since nobody did it, somebody got angry because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that somebody would do it, but anybody could have realized that nobody would do it. So consequently, everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Practical support. And then simply a listening ear. Now, that may seem very simple for something so complex as protecting the vulnerable. But actually, I think it is really key and important. I came across something called Adverse Childhood Experiences, ACEs, they're called. And basically, it's where there's a trauma in childhood. It can affect your adult life and the medical conditions that can result from it. And so there are lots of ways of treating it, but I found this on the NHS website, and this is just a a, a quote. Research has shown that having an adult that you can trust and speak to 
can help stop the negative effects of adverse childhood experiences. Isn't that remarkable? Having somebody you trust and you can speak to can reduce the effects, reduce the negative effects. I think it's amazing. You see, friendship is so important. We're made for relationships. We're made in the image of God. And God is in relationship in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. So when we relate to others, we reflect the Godhead. And it's not just something, you know, like a tick list. Oh, yeah, I do a bit of that. It's an essential part of who we are. Sometimes offloading is important. Liz does this quite a lot. <laughs> it's, just, it's just part of her character. She comes home from work, and she, she, she likes to offload. So she'll talk about her day, she'll talk about the things that she's been involved in, she'll talk about the things that went well, she'll talk about the things that didn't go quite so well, she'll talk about the people, she'll talk about her frustrations. She's not, she's not looking for answers from me. She just wants me to listen. She's not expecting me to understand it all or the complex things that she gets involved in. She's not expecting me to go, oh, well, I think you ought to do this and this and this. She just wants this. She needs to offload. She's not loading onto me. It's not like I bear a burden of hers. It's just release from her. And she doesn't have to worry about it then. And we move on. That's so important. And you could be a listening ear for somebody like that. If you've got st stuff that you just think, this is burdening me down. Give somebody a ring and say, can we have a coffee and a chat? And be prepared to be a listening ear. There's another NHS example. I don't spend lots of time on the NHS website, but I <laughs> did find some interesting things. There's something called talking therapies. There's another quote. The therapist will give you time to talk, to cry, to shout, or just think. It's an opportunity to look at your problems in a different way with someone who will respect you and your opinions. That seems quite easy, doesn't it? Sit down with somebody and talk, and they're prepared to let you talk or cry or shout or just think. Now, what medical conditions do you think that that would help with? Let me give you the list. Depression, anxiety, eating disorders, phobias, addictions. They weren't what I was expecting on the list. Sad or upsetting experiences. That's what I was, ex uh, yeah, that's what I was expecting. Yeah, that can help if you're a bit sad, you've been a bit upset about something. But just sitting down and talking to somebody can help with phobias, addictions, eating disorders. That's amazing. And we can help one another with these things just by being a listening ear. And you'll see on your notes, I've put the final line, empowered by the Spirit, because I don't want us to forget that we can do nothing without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We can't support one another. We can't pray. We can't be a listening ear without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And it's crucial 
that we get that. But if we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and we act in the same way that the early disciples uh, did in Acts 2 that I talked about and shared their everything together, whoever is in the midst of us, whether they're ex-prisoners or uh, people in debt or homeless, we can open ourselves to them and maybe, maybe we'll be known as those who can fix anything, who can restore old ruins, who can rebuild and renovate and maybe King's Church Oxted can make this community livable again as we're prepared for all that God has for us in the days ahead. And then we'll see healing anointing. Hey, now that's exciting, isn't it? What, what an exciting place we live in where God is allowing us those sort of opportunities. I'd love us to worship uh, in response. I think that I don't feel that I want to, you know, call you out to say, yes, I'm, I'm for this. But I, I'd love you just as we worship to consider not just healing, anointing, people in need, making the connection, but actually making a good connection between being open to those in particular need and seeing what God would have for us in the days ahead.